0: Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the changes. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Jones. Hey, Ryan, good to have you on the show.
1: Hey, yeah, yeah, thanks for inviting me and I'm happy to be here.
0: So you've started the Serverless Guru back in 2018, is that right?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: From what we discussed before, you guys have done some really good work, uh, helping a number of different customers with uh, adopting serverless technologies. And uh, maybe can we get started by just talking about uh, your experience and how you got into serverless in the first place?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it was a it was kind of an interesting uh, story for me of how I actually got involved in tech. Uh, started off in Texas, I was trying to figure out what was my career path going to look like, and then. Uh, I, I saw on a YouTube video about code school, um, I was still like, in between whether doing like economics or finance, uh, or, or trying to do programming, I started taking Udemy courses just on random stuff like Android, saw the code school thing, jumped in, you know, both feet. Uh, and I basically left all of my stuff in Texas, I moved to Portland, Oregon, uh, was living on a couch, and then went to a code school. Uh, while I was there, uh, I was just like really lucky timing. One of the students had a brother who was a cloud developer. Uh, I had no idea about cloud, AWS, anything like that. Uh, this was in uh, late, this was like late 2016, early 2017. Uh, so once, once I got in connection with that person and they started telling me about cloud development and what their brother does and the opportunity that was there, uh, we started actually spending time taking AWS certifications and studying as a group after the code school class would be over. So we'd stay after hours there. Uh, that, that kind of snowballed into learning about serverless. And one, one of the platforms that I actually used to learn about serverless, uh, that it was even a thing, was a cloud guru. And I heard, I think, Ryan Cronenberg basically say something like, serverless is the future. And I was like, great. You know, I'm, I'm starting from scratch. I don't have any uh, preconceptions about how anything should be done. Serverless is the future. I want to be in the future. I want to be on the cutting edge. And so I, I went that path, and in my group projects and stuff during the code school, I started building out Alexa skills, uh, working with Lambda. At the time, I still wasn't very familiar with uh, servers and uh, how a lot of the enterprise operational stuff actually happens. Uh, that came much later. And I just got my feet wet in it. I was able to make a uh, Alexa skill that helped uh, with, the, with the collaboration of a couple people on the team as well um, that would actually tell the train times. And hearing it speak back to me, I didn't have to get into an EC2 instance. I didn't have to configure anything. I just, we wrote some Node.js, we put it into a Lambda function, we hooked it up with the Alexa uh, SDK and uh, I think Amazon Lex as well. And then we had this working voice coming out of this machine telling us when the next uh, Green Line train would show up in Portland. Um, out of that, I, I ended up trying to do a startup where I was trying to do basically, uh, what I think Dino Base kind of did, uh, where they did it way way better than my idea was, but it was kind of just, I don't, I don't, uh, the, the, the barrier to entry for AWS is, it's getting better, but it's, you kind of have to understand IAM, AWS account creation, a lot of different things to even get something very basic, like a database set up with DynamoDB. So the idea was abstracting all those layers away. You can just basically sign up, you can create a DynamoDB uh, table, uh, actually start interacting with data. Um, and that was around like mid 2017, I had no idea what I was doing, but it was really interesting because I got to go down a rabbit hole of AWS Cognito, trying to build out the web app. Uh, all that stuff basically gave me the preparation to, uh, apply for a job at Nike, um, in their, um, application engineering or sorry, the Nike innovation engineering department. Um, I didn't know at the time, like the exclusivity of that, but once I got in, Uh, All I was doing every day was writing serverless framework, infrastructure as code, Node.js. I quickly uh, got tagged with like a senior title, uh, which, you know, hindsight, you know, maybe it was a little bit early on that. But ultimately, uh, I I worked really hard on the weekends and at nights to kind of catch up to the rest of the team there. And it was just surrounded by people that were really smart, um, doing incredible things. And that that snowballed for about eight months. And I started realizing that serverless uh, is more than what I was doing at code school, there's a whole bunch of best practices around building infrastructure as code and building out applications and architectures. And what I started noticing is that although I only had six months or a year of experience uh, at the time, the knowledge of serverless that I had and the knowledge of infrastructure as code and cloud was actually more advanced than a lot of the people that I was working around that had 10 plus years of experience uh, doing other things, 20 years of experience. They were much better at writing application code than I was. But when it came specifically to writing infrastructure as code, I found this niche. And the second I found that, I just wanted to keep diving into it further. Uh, right around that time, about eight months into uh, eight, nine months into being at Nike, uh, someone reached out to me, a, a serverless consulting company, uh, very early on um, in 2018. I ended up deciding uh, I'm not going to try to risk going full time with Nike and going through that process. I'm going to make the jump here. I wanted to do a consulting company myself, so this felt like this might be the 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 ground level entry for me to understand a little bit more about how things actually work um, and see if this is something that I actually want to do starting a consulting company or not and so once I got in there and we started doing it, uh, I was just I was blown away because I got thrown into the ocean, and uh, I realized that uh, in situations like that, I think that that 's where I thrive the most is when there's a lot of chaos there's uncertainty, and you have to kind of figure out how to Make things work and so uh, in that process I went to a company and did training for all these senior Microsoft developers that had 10 15 years of, of experience and started teaching them about serverless and working alongside them and we were doing all this really cool stuff like SQSQs hooked to you know lambda functions, the DynamoDB and and, and all this stuff and I was working alongside them writing infrastructures code, doing training with them uh, and this was still only about a year into my career or about a year and a couple months into my career uh out of that uh, process I stayed there for about 8 9 months and I felt like okay uh I'm I'm ready to kind of take on some projects myself and start learning how to do this um a little bit more I felt like I had potential to take it and turn it into something because at that time uh around mid 2018 serverless was still very new It still is new uh and I thought this is a perfect time to just take on whatever projects I can find try to build stuff out and so once I made that switch uh I ended up doing like two, three projects at a time, which is very crazy. And it's hard to look back now and figure out how I actually got that done. But um, early days of Serverless Guru started right around uh, September of 2018. And uh, by December, we had like three projects going. And I had one person, two people helping me like part-time basis uh, and a lot of support from family and friends. And then once we got into uh, 2019, uh, that's when things started actually picking up a lot more. I, I ended up doing some talks at a couple meetups, ran into a few more people and just like, gradually started adding people to the team. Um, uh, that's when I met uh, Josh Proto, who's now our VP of operations. Uh, I met a couple of consultants at the meetups and I was just saying yes to whatever came in the door. Um, and out of that grew, you know, kind of a, a international serverless consulting company that has uh, 16 people in it now. So it's, yeah, it's been a journey.
0: That's quite an amazing story, uh, just in terms of how quickly everything seems to have happened. Uh, a lot of people have asked me about uh, how to get into cloud computing and what are some of the, I guess, the uh, ways to learn about all, the, uh, all these different things uh, and be good at them because there's just so many things you can do nowadays on AWS alone. Uh, and I think uh, what you have managed to achieve is uh, pretty amazing, especially in the sort of the short uh, time spent that you have uh, been doing this and uh, really really congrats on the the success uh, that you've had so far um, so I guess I, there's a couple of things I want to unpack there uh, which I think that some of them your experience is really inspiring for certainly a lot of people out there who are looking at uh, cloud computing and uh, and want to get into the field um, what are some of the most difficult things for you as uh, you were trying to learn about uh, programming and how to uh, get into the cloud
1: Yeah, great question. So um, I think what I kind of faced was uh, this this huge body of knowledge that already existed and trying to just figure out, like you said, what path do you go? Uh, There's so many things that you can do with serverless or cloud. And I think the path that I kind of went down to start learning about it is I just said, I'm going to build this web app, which was uh, kind of automating uh, the creation of DynamoDB tables. I'm gonna try to build it out. I'm gonna try to learn everything that I need to learn to basically make it a reality. And in that process, I ended up gaining a lot of things. I, I like if you would have asked me like uh, what services should I work on or something, I, I wouldn't have known the question or I wouldn't have known the answer. But as I got into it, I started learning, okay, for authentication, there's cognito, and then I ran into an issue with cognito, and so then I found another thing. And I just kind of go, I went like one by one uh, adding things to that list to try to make something real. Uh, and then as that kind of came together, I started realizing, oh, wow, now I fit like 80% of this like, uh, you know, senior application engineer developer uh, type of role because it was you know, still so new in in 2018. Um, so I, I think that would be my advice is to anybody that's looking to start. Um, try not to be overwhelmed with uh, like, for instance, we're, we're in the, we just came out of the reinvent rush of AWS. I mean, that overwhelms me as well. And I'm sure it does other people in the community. How many changes are happening constantly? But in in reality, it's like, you know, you want to do something like run something on a timer. You want to have a website that does auth- authentication. You want a backend that does some processing and sends an email. And so focus on that. And in that process, uh, eliminate everything else and work strictly on making that a reality. And then as you do it, then just go to the next thing and make that a reality. And then one by one, just keep doing that. And after you do a few of them, maybe 10, 10 different use cases, then you have kind of a uh, this idea, this web of knowledge of how things actually interact. And then past that point, you can then look at how do you increase, uh, you know, your, your workflow. And I think that that's a a really tough question as well as how do you be effective and efficient uh, with cloud development?
0: Yeah, I think uh, learning by doing is always probably the best way to learn, um, and certainly I think that's been my experience as well. Just when I want to learn about a new service or how it works, just uh, you know start working on a like a proof of concept or some kind of a th- uh, dummy project so that I can get my hands dirty with the with the service and relearn really its uh, ins and outs. And certainly, as uh, you look at AWS from the outside, it looks like it's giant massive thing with uh, 150 maybe 200 different services uh, but for most application developers uh, you don't need to know all of them if you can just focus on specific use cases like you did uh, you can actually just narrow it down to maybe two or three services at a time uh, learn those and then gradually to you know just work on the other use cases and expand your horizon even nowadays i probably don't use uh, i probably use only about 10 15 different services uh, at max Uh, for any given project even though there are loads of other things that you may touch here and there but most of the time you don't need to know them all the time or at least you don't use them all the time and in terms of the uh, uh, like the service guru uh, what are some of the challenges that you faced in terms of building up this uh, consulting business Uh, I've kind of gone through similar Journey, uh, but I guess I've been working as an independent rather as uh, rather than as an agency. So I've not had to worry about things like uh, hiring people, understanding uh, international employment laws, and things like that. Uh, what do you, What are some of the most challenging things that you faced uh, as you're trying to build up and the ramp up serverless guru?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, one thing that's different from tackling the development side and just tackling a use case and be like, I'm going to learn these two or three services, understand them really well make the use case having a business is like you get thrown everything so all 100 services at once pretty much and then it's like which ones do you prioritize and how do you keep the boat above water while you're trying to figure out how to do all this stuff um so i think uh the the major challenges have just been knowing like knowing what i don't know i guess and figuring out what things i didn't know and then trying to figure out how to tackle that or hire somebody to fill the role and then doing that in a way that's healthy and balanced uh, and slow enough that we're not scaling past the amount of revenue we have coming in uh, and making sure that, you know, I'm not having to take out huge loans from a bank or something to pay for this uh, because I'm, I'm mismanaging and I'm trying to, you know, make something happen that's not not ready for it yet. So I think where serverless guru has kind of been great looking back on it is that, you know, we've never gotten outside funding. Uh, it's been completely revenue based and uh, self, self-investment on my end. Uh, from doing some consulting work prior to Service Guru. Um, and then through that, uh, just just learning, uh, tackling things as the pain happened. So for instance, taxes typically, at least we're getting better at now, uh, taxes would get pushed out to the kind of like end date where do you have to file? And it was like, okay, this is super painful now. It has to be done. Okay, let me figure out what I need to do to get it done. Uh, hiring wise, uh, it was just kind of, let me just take my best crack at it and see if that'll work. And I was very accommodating really, really early on because I knew my background. And so I think that I, I, had a, I have an ability, I think, to see potential in people and understand the skill set that I have and then how that's worked out in consulting and then look for that in other people. And so then once I saw that, I, I was very willing and it was very early on as well to just take a chance on people and see if it would work out. And if it didn't, I didn't really hold anything against myself for making a bad decision on that. Uh, and a lot of and, and it's just the 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 messaging of serverless guru has been really powerful because while this whole thing was happening and we were trying to build stuff, I was writing a lot of articles and making a lot of content and doing meetup talks. And I think that that started attracting more talent and more talented people. And then as we started growing the team and doing more social media marketing or doing a training course, and all these things, Uh, it started increasing the amount of people that came in. And then as that happened, the actual people that are in the recruiting pipeline, for instance, are much higher quality, and they don't have to be vetted as much. Um, And then we just focused a lot on the processes, so I think people would probably be surprised that if they saw the inner workings of how Serverless Guru actually operates. like We have processes and CRMs for everything that we do like, you know, emails are, you know, emails are scripted. Like, like we, we try to take an approach similar to programming and writing templates and infrastructure as code, uh, to try to take that approach on all the processes internally. So now recruiting, uh, calls for recruiting sales, um, how we manage the team, uh, trying to do mentorship for new consultants that are working with clients, uh, managing expectations of clients, writing statement of works, all that stuff is now scripted to a large degree. And I think it's really cool because, as we've focused on that since the very beginning of serverless guru back in like early 2019, all the way to now uh, we now have enough processes that, you know, if I, this is kind of the very dramatic thing, but if I, you know, if I got hit by a bus, ideally I don't want 16 people to have to just be, uh, you know, out without a job, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, have see this whole thing that's been created over the past uh, two plus years, just kind of fall away. And so that's been a really big focus to me is trying to make sure that, Every like my whole job and everything that I know or understand and all that uh knowledge that I've acquired over the past two plus years is put into documents and notes and videos and uh internal videos so that uh if anything ever happened, obviously uh the whole company can move forward. Um so <laughs> I guess like that's a really long-winded rant that's probably not completely relevant to the question, but uh yeah, there it is. <laughs>
0: So uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, you're coming into the industry with uh, fresh eyes. Uh, You don't have the the preconceptions about how things are done. I guess that probably also applies in terms of the uh, interview process as well. Uh, I'm actually quite curious about how your interview process looks like, uh, because one of the I guess the baggage that we also uh, we often find in the industry is that interview processes are filled with uh, essentially brain teasers, uh, because that's the sort of thing that you know, Google and some of the big tech companies uh, you know they do. And oftentimes uh, people just copy practices from those big companies. And oftentimes I'm you know I used to interview companies and used uh, and used to get given all these uh, uh, brain teaser questions or, or dummy questions that have nothing related to what I'm gonna be doing at uh, on a job whatsoever um, so and and that and that seem to be a, I guess like a backlash against that uh, this kind of this kind of interview process uh, in the industry in the last 12 months or so um, how do you guys structure your interview process and what sort of things do you look out for uh, when you're looking at a candidate
1: yeah so I, I was actually very fortunate uh, that the the Nike interview that I did was actually code challenge based, uh, or sorry, not code challenges in a whiteboard algorithm, uh, but more build out this REST API, have unit testing, uh, you know, real things that you would actually do on the job. And the reason why it was that structure, even though it was Nike, was because I was on a small, like two-person team at Nike. And so the 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 lead developer was like the only person on the team at the time. And so he was trying to evaluate... I want people that can get on the team with limited uh, information and start making things happen to move the project forward. Uh, so that that was actually how I got the job is I spent you know, a lot of time doing that, uh, prepping for it and then building it out. And that experience to me felt like the most fair way to evaluate a candidate. And I, I've seen that as well with the algorithms, and all that stuff. I actually try to get into AWS at one point when I was in coming out of code school and it was like a 15minute interview there was a timer on it it was like 10 questions and it was like solve these algorithms And it was just for an internship and it was like you know I can actually build real stuff and this felt like uh, completely irrelevant I didn't have a CS degree uh, and and I think it kind of it's one of those things where um, what do you really want this person to do when they actually come on and for bigger companies like AWS they might have the structure to have really crazy onboarding and uh, and and just mentorship for new developers coming out of college, uh, where they have the CS degree, they have this low level knowledge, and they can actually build up the extra skills. Um, but for I think for the larger community, I don't think it makes sense to copy these bigger companies because realistically, you don't have those same processes and you don't have that same level of onboarding and mentorship. And so what we see, I think, is like. Lots of frustration, and I've seen that with a lot of my my friends as well that are in the community uh, and the industry, where they try to go apply for a job, but they have to do a whiteboard challenge or solve an algorithm, uh, and they get burnt out because every company is sending them like ten different uh, of these type of challenges, and these people have built you know full applications. They've they've done the front end, the back end, the services, uh, you know, cron, all that stuff, and so for serverless, specifically seeing that. We have a series of like three to five challenges that we do where it's based on work that we actually do for clients. and the idea there is like one of them is uh, it's kind of interesting is convert AWS SAM to serverless framework um, which <laughs> doesn't seem like it's a uh, like why would that you know why would that be a, a challenge? but it is actually a challenge because you have to understand uh, cloud formation in such a way and you have to break apart the infrastructure's code in such a way that it kind of validates if that person has. Uh, best practice knowledge of serverless framework, where they are on that spectrum. And it's very easy to see based on what people send back, uh, you know, because all, you and I both, right, we play, have courses on this stuff. So like once we see what comes back, it's very easy to determine if that person is, you know, on the senior side or or more on the junior side. Uh, and then we have other ones for build out an AppSync API, um, that has uh, you know CRUD functionality, and and then kind of seeing like do they use VTL templates to take away the Lambda function? Uh, what do they add in there? And then we also something that we've added recently, which is really awesome, and helps a ton. I would say anybody that's listening to this definitely add this into your recruiting uh, pipeline. Is have them record a video of them talking over the code, right? So the idea is like we want to streamline and automate as much of the process as possible. And one of the biggest things that we found is that the communication part is such a key element to successful consulting. If you don't have really strong communication, uh, that that can be eighty. Like in my opinion, it could be like eighty percent of a project going successfully or not. And so we're able to evaluate not only their understanding of the code because, of course, you can find tutorials online and stuff like that and piece it together. And we are looking for people that can do that. Right? Uh, no experience, learn really fast, put it together but we're also evaluating can they describe what they built and is it convincing and do they show like signs of confidence in it? Um, and that that gives us a really easy ability to evaluate kind of like the full candidate um, without having to ever jump on to a, like an hour call. So we try to keep it focused on can you do the job that we're actually going to give you and is your communication strong and then based on those things, uh, yeah, we've gotten some really good talent through. So
0: yeah, I really like that idea uh, of uh, have, uh, of someone recording the thinking process as they're working on the, these challenges that are you know, relevant to what they're going to be doing uh, if they were to join your company. Uh, because often I find that uh, what they do is so much, well, sorry, uh, why they do something is, is probably more important than what they actually end up doing in terms of the lines of code. Uh, because what I find is that a lot of the time people are just uh, uh, repeating what they have been, I guess, told to do. Uh, organizational conventions, uh, how, they, how they're how currently doing things within the organization, uh, rightly or wrongly, often reflects in the submissions uh, for these coding challenges that we give them as well. Uh, and oftentimes I think if you listen to, you know, if you're able to talk to or uh, well, see that the thinking behind it uh, sometimes uh, what may seem like a weird decision uh, may have more merits because of the context that the candidate is actually coming from uh, and I certainly seeing someone sort of thinking through the problem uh, uh, tells me a lot more about what they can you know what they'll be able to contribute uh, to the team if they were to join the team as well uh, let's maybe talk about some of the projects that you guys have been working on Uh, Is there anything that you can sort of discuss uh, publicly, um, interesting challenges that you've come across?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, really good timing. We actually wrapped up the end of the year with uh, kind of not really announcing, but kind of putting it onto the website that we've been working with Air Canada for a while now. Um, And so we actually have a really great quote on our website uh, from the director of digital platform architecture at Air Canada that... Uh, basically says that we've been working with them on a multi-year serverless transformation involving training, support for developers, consulting on best practices, and implementation on critical projects. And that we've uh, serverless crews helped rapidly accelerate uh, Air Canada's serverless journey. And so that's been a really big project that we've had, kind of uh, secretly happening in the background, uh, is working with Air Canada and uh, being involved with uh, their entire team. Uh, it's like kind of a global team uh, and. Can't get into specifics probably on uh, individual projects happening, but what I can say is that uh, it's been an awesome learning experience on the consulting side for us, and having this like stage to perform, and we've been super grateful for you know all the opportunity there that's happened, and it's kind of it, it was kind of interesting at first. It was like we just need you know it's like training, and then it kind of turned into uh, you know enterprise architecture. And then it turned into implement, implementation development, and it turned into proof of concept stuff, and then it was, you know, support for developers. And so in each one of those, we've kind of learned a little bit more about what it's like to work with enterprises. And out of that process, you know, kind of the long term, you know, vision of Serverless Guru is that if any Fortune five hundred plus company uh, wants to do something with Serverless in the future, you know, Serverless Guru wants to be involved in that. And there was also another one which is like uh, Serverless Guru wants to help. Uh, save like one billion dollars in operational expenses uh, you know by like twenty thirty or something so this is like an eight ten year uh, goal for serverless guru it's not a short term thing I'll, I'm still gonna be around you know next summer and the summer after that and five summers after that um, so we're 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 constantly building and off of this uh, Air Canada experience, we're now able to kind of present a unique offering to these enterprise companies that are trying to they're seeing the value of serverless, but they haven't fully Dove into it, or if they dove into it, all their developers also need to transition to it, and they need to be efficient with it. And you know, what infrastructure's code uh, framework do you use? How do you use it properly? Uh, how does the team establish best practices and make sure that they're not repeating themselves all over the place? Um, and and how do you not shoot yourself in the foot? Because I think um, things that really come up is that you know you can build something in a non-production system for serverless. But then once you actually have hundreds of thousands of messages flowing through it or millions of messages flowing through it, that's when you really see things break down. And the problem is, is that you, you sometimes don't learn that until it's too late. So we've had a lot of those type of things happen over the past uh, year where we've seen these incidents take place and we've had to tr- figure out how to triage it, figure out how to uh, you know, basically make it stronger. And now off the back of those type of projects that we've been doing, uh, one of them being Air Canada... I think that, you know, Serverless Guru specifically is in a really good spot for 2021 and beyond uh, to help enterprise companies kind of not only like learn to pick up serverless and make their developers efficient, uh, but also kind of bring it all the way into production. And that was something that was missing uh, prior to like mid-2019 for Serverless Guru.
0: Okay. And uh, with all the different customers that you are working with, uh, have you noticed any uh, adoption trends uh, or maybe common challenges uh, or mistakes that the customers run into when they want to adopt a serverless?
1: Yeah. um, I think the the big one is it's similar to what we were talking about earlier, which is there's so many things to understand and know. Uh, And also there's this, I was, so I'll I'll dial back to a meetup that I did back uh, maybe like early 2019 and it was at a DevOps meetup here in Portland. And I got introduced as uh, being uh, someone that's going to talk about serverless and hopefully not about how it's going to take everyone's job away um and i and then it was very awkward after that but i kind of just took it on the chin uh but it was it was interesting because that's some, somewhat to the existing community uh which is the majority of the community for like devops and people that are working with chef puppet uh ec2 servers things like that uh, uh virtual machines uh on premise things they might look at serverless as like a kind of taking the job away and i think the thing is, is like it's not efficient for a company to let go of all of the people that have all the business context about what, how the business actually operates, how the teams work, you know, it takes so long to even just onboard people into like working with the Jira system at the new company and how all the processes work, that the the better solution, the most optimal solution is actually to take those people and transition them and give them the skills and the knowledge that they need to actually succeed in the new role. And so, um, yeah, I think I've, I think I just lost the question a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry
0: no worries Uh, so so my question was around uh, uh, adoption trends and uh, common challenges Uh, uh, but what you talk about uh, is actually very interesting uh, because i've seen that a lot as well Um, a lot of pushback from the i guess the devops community to serverless at least uh, maybe 12 months ago has been this Potentially, um, this sort of like a identity crisis that a lot of them see themselves as infrastructure engineers, and you know the whole job hangs around uh, uh, being, you know, them being the, the 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 ones to write those infrastructure templates and whatnot. Uh, and uh, what you know, a lot of that becomes either irrelevant or uh, not as challenging that requires a specialist uh, uh, in in the team to to do that to own that piece uh, when using serverless technologies. But I think with the same in in the same way that uh, industry. Uh, uh, Industrial revolution happened. Uh, some people lost their jobs, but you know, they didn't really lose their jobs. They they got other more interesting work instead. And I think with serverless, this is also opportunity for a lot of the, uh, I guess the you know, folks that are focusing on uh, DevOps to maybe move into a different part of the business and maybe get more involved with uh, you know, building up, uh, application features and uh, doing other things and not just uh, you know, putting your head down and writing those uh, uh, puppet uh, or ansible uh, scripts. And there are other things you could contribute to the business that can create more business value at the end of the day, which makes you a more valuable members of the team as well. Um, so so yeah, um, I do, but I do think uh, it's easy to get yourself into that mindset where you know you identify yourself as one thing, and uh, this new technology coming along that can potentially you know reduce the the need for the for that particular uh, set of skills. Um, but at the same time, it opens up, I think it lowers the bar of entry for someone to get into, uh, you know, building features and developing, uh, more, uh, more customer facing stuff where you can create more, a lot more value to the business.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I, I agree on all fronts. I think the, the identity crisis thing is real. And, um, you know, going back to the, the thing that I said earlier is like the, um, when people are actually making that transition, uh, or for businesses, like the it's more efficient to actually take those people and give them the skills they need to actually be effective. And then I think also in that process, like I actually did. I so I was doing serverless development and doing serverless consulting, and then I actually did consulting for a, probably like eight months where I was actually writing Ansible scripts and stuff and working with virtual machines. And it was kind of this weird. I'm for I'm, I I look back on it and I'm thankful for it because I got more perspective about how. Uh, enterprise companies work but uh, I was building like API gateway and lambda functions and doing that stuff and building web apps and using Cognito and then I went all the way back into being in like a legacy environment trying to clean up AWS and make scripts to uh, handle things like uh, you know patching a certain version uh, because of the exploit thing that happened a while back with um, I think it was like Spectrum or something I can't remember what it is now but um one thing that was interesting about that is that a lot of the, the the people that I was working with was that team that has to transition and I was working in the operations team at the company uh doing this work and I think that the the type of work that's being done is it's very stressful like people are on they have like a beeper on them uh they're they have to be available like 24 hours on the weekend um the the databases would get maxed out and they would have to someone would have to be there to actually modify it EC2 instances they didn't really have a deployment pipeline thing for it, and how they actually make updates to it, and how do you make a good AMI, right? And how do you all those all those problems are actually really difficult, and every company has to solve those problems. Um, and the people that are actually solving those problems, uh, they have a they have a they have skill at at writing scripts and writing bash scripts and understanding how this like low level, uh, which would be underneath Lambda, uh, actually works. And so I think it's a it's an it's a natural transition uh, for them to actually start doing a little bit more of the development side, which you're you're kind of hinting at. And I think in that process, I don't know. I think a lot of people it's going to be weird at first, maybe a little bit scary with the idea of like uh, job security, all that stuff. But I think ultimately, if somebody has that background and then transition to serverless, they would probably be higher on the list at least for serverless guru than if somebody came from. Only doing like uh, front end, maybe, or something like that, and then they didn't have an understanding of how the the lower levels work. Because for enterprises, you know, you say, okay, this EC two instance, this on premises stuff, yeah, it's legacy, yes, it's old, uh, yes, there's there's more optimal ways to do it now, but it's also making the company hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And so, how do you you can't just turn it off? Like you, you know, that was like one thing that I, I at first when I first started. I was like, yeah, just turn it off, you know, like, let's just do it with serverless. And now it's like, you need people that understand all the levels of it and all the organizational complexity and understand how you can basically map that over. And I think for the people that uh, kind of see that, that are on the operations end, I think they're going to have a really, uh, a really a lot of opportunity moving into the future, uh, picking up serverless and be extremely valuable on any team that they join, because nowadays uh, we're, we're kind of jumping over that. Uh, but it's still relevant for a, a, a large majority of these uh, large, uh, large companies.
0: Absolutely, I think those experiences are, are crucial. A lot of things that we are working on at uh, the, at, I guess that we are working on high and higher level of abstractions, uh, but underlying fundamentals they don't really change. And so, if you understand the fundamentals, that, that puts you in a very strong position in terms of learning about all these other new things that are coming along the services that are managed this managed services and understand how a lot of technologies uh, that we use day to day works under the hood uh, I spent most of my career actually you know doing a lot of those things as well as developing applications uh, uh, because I was working in really small teams where I was essentially the back end team and I have to do everything and I used to spend like 70% of my time just uh, you know configuring servers and doing all this other stuff and also being on call and uh, when things just go you know, go wrong it would be um, peak time in the US but uh, in the UK you'll be like two o'clock three o'clock in the morning uh, so you know, being waking up in the middle of the night is not exactly great uh, so nowadays I can do so much more with less stress and uh, just less time as well and certainly I think nowadays so with using serverless components, uh, my work has become a lot easier, has at least a lot more enjoyable. Um, to some extent, it's probably a bit more boring now as well because everything just kind of works. There's not a lot of engineering challenges to do it just okay you got to do uh this build you, you, you know you want to build this app just you know pick a lambda uh, app sync uh, down db tables and a few other things and then you know, bish bosh and uh, a week later you've got something working uh and you don't have to worry about uh, you know uh, scaling uh, and configuring uh launch configurations and all the other stuff so there's a lot less uh, tinkering you need to do which is a great thing because it, it gets me focused on just delivering the things that actually matters to the to the end user uh, and the things don't tend to go wrong, so I don't have to, you know, be waking up in the middle of the night the, to boot, to reboot a server and stuff like that. And certainly, I think, uh, like you said, as DevOps engineers who has got those understanding of the underlying building blocks of the AWS infrastructure already, learning that. Um, other services that are now, you know, uh, Lambda, uh, uh, API Gateway, uh, DB, all these managed services, uh, you can have a lot more insight than someone who's coming in fresh and not understanding some of these low-level building blocks, plus all the institutional knowledge that you have about the company, how it works, all that as well. Um, so definitely, I think that's, that's a career path, that's a, an opportunity for a lot of people that they should just you know, grab with uh, both hands. I guess uh, switching back to the question I actually wanted to ask before uh, was, uh, have you noticed any sort of uh, uh, adoption patterns in terms of uh, amounts your customers and uh, common challenges that people run into?
1: Yeah, so I think um, we've seen a lot more of event bridge popping up and uh, things like uh, trying to use Kafka, um, basically trying to handle uh, large scale uh, events flowing through a serverless architecture and how to handle that properly. Um, there are a lot, like you talked about where it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very, it's like, you know, we need a new app sync API. Uh, we need some type of crud timer functionality. And so there are a lot of like use cases, which are pretty, pretty identical. Um, and so I think the, on the, on the, on that front, I think event bridge would probably be one that's coming up a lot more app sync's coming up a lot more. Uh, and then I think the, the thing that's coming up the most probably, which is not completely relevant to the question, is uh, how do you use the things that you or like how do you make the use cases that you already have? Like you said, for instance, building the app sync, make it, it just works, right? Um, so you were able to build it in a week uh, with the amount of knowledge that you have, or, or even less time probably, uh, using serverless components. And then how does that scale over 30 people that are in different countries and time zones and uh, have different uh, team structures? And how, how do you basically make sure that everybody's building it in a way that's standardized enough that onboarding processes are smooth and the operational side of actually building new services is known. And there's no uh, kind of just like edge case things that are being built that no one understands. Um, and, and, and making sure that all those, that understanding is centralized and people can really tap into it across different teams and learn about it. I think that would probably be the thing that we get hired the most to do at Serverless Guru is sometimes people they already know. Yes, use a Lambda function for it. Yes, use like uh, CloudWatch rule or uh, the new Event Bridge uh, version of that under the hood, um, or use like Fargate. Uh, potentially, uh, they they know that they they should do it potentially, but the idea of how do they actually uh, put it into place and how do they make sure that the team understands how to do it on their own um, and and they're doing it in a way that's best practices. That's that's one area that we do a lot, and then I think the thing that just kind of spawned in my mind when I said Fargate is uh, which one of the options do you use? And that's probably another one that we spend a lot of time on is uh, should you, we hear Fargate, um, a lot of times people are transitioning from existing stuff, existing knowledge, and then building something new. And so there's kind of a line that you have to draw there. And there's a, there's kind of like, if it's greenfield, if it's completely new, you can take, you yes, you can use Fargate. Yes, you can take it from maybe having to manage the containers and stuff yourself, you can use something like Fargate where it kind of turns off and on. Um, but there's also sometimes there's like that extra step, which is like, could this be a Lambda function? Could you get rid of uh, a little bit more of the overhead that you're kind of taking, uh, taking on? And so I, th- I think the the cloud is amazing because there's a lot of ways to do a lot of things, but it also can be the thing that allows people to shoot themselves in the foot because they have now 10 different options and, Uh, you know, with the Lambda container support that recently came out or Lambda extensions or uh, Lambda layers or using Fargate or ECS or EC2 or, what is it, like Elastic uh, or Beanstalk, whatever that is um, off the top of my head. So using those different options, there's a lot of things that people can do and a lot of different ways that people can build out similar things. Um, And then knowing which one won't, like which one will actually scale to the team size and which one will allow them to have the most long-term benefit, that's, that's an area that we probably work on the most.
0: Okay. And uh, now that we are in the 2021, uh, what's next for Service Guru and for, you, uh, for yourself? Uh, what's, you know, what's your outlook for 2021?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, this has been on my mind a lot. I think one thing that happens uh, with me is that whenever things uh, turn off, I, I start like, going through my head like is everything okay like what is this going to look like i think i gotta i get a lot of uh personally a lot of self uh worth out of the out of the work that i do uh with serverless guru and out of like building things and seeing things go forward and answering emails even <laughs> so i think when everything turned off uh for the holidays i i did turn off but i kind of felt like yeah a little bit of like self-doubt around that but <laughs> getting back to the question um when it comes to serverless guru in 2021 uh it's you know it's part of a it's one year out of our eight to 10 year uh, vision for the company. And uh, this year we're hoping to shoot for uh, one more enterprise client uh, by June and then uh, try not to box in the anything past that point. Right. So what that kind of looks like is a lot of times there can be, there's this, there's this term called uh, sticker shock. And so the idea there is that if something, if there's the, if the, the, the money is, is too much or, the goal is is to, seems too big. You almost will psych yourself out of it. And so, one thing I've tried to do since the beginning of Serverless Guru is just leave that at the door. I don't know what will happen, um, but I'm just going to shoot for one thing. I'm going to shoot for one step forward. And and who knows? After June, maybe we'll have two clients. Maybe there'll be three more enterprise clients. Uh, but I think ultimately, to get to the goal of you know saving a billion dollars of operational you know expenses and and kind of growing to any Fortune 500 company plus that's doing uh, serverless stuff, serverless screws involved, you know, it requires a super big team. So we're going to be doing a lot of recruiting. Uh, it requires a lot of sales. Uh, it requires a lot of uh, giving back to the community through uh, content and uh, media, getting the message out there about what we're doing. And so uh, a big focus in 2020 was, you know, keeping the wheels on the car as we're, we're going down the track uh, or on the train. And I think now we've we've got a lot of the wheels, you know, we've got a lot of areas like accounting and, and you know, finance and all this stuff, we've kind of got that uh, laid down in 2020. And so in 2021, we're looking at uh, how do we increase, how do we maximize our marketing? How do we maximize the training course? How do we uh, make new training courses, make new content for the community, uh, increase our sales, target enterprise companies, uh, and, and really grow the amount of uh, you know, kind of network that service Guru has? Uh, And then personally, I'm looking to get uh, my skydiving license. Uh, (laughs) So that would be one thing personally for 2021.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's exciting. And uh, I guess, uh, well, best of luck uh, to both uh, uh, your endeavors, uh, well, personal endeavors, as well as uh, uh, what you're hoping to achieve with uh, Service Guru. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us uh, uh, today, and uh, how, and if anyone who's listening to the podcast uh, wants to consider Serverless Guru as, as the next step in their career, how can people find you guys on the internet and how can they uh, apply for a role at the Serverless Guru?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so come to serverlessguru.com. Uh, we've got contact forms for sales. Uh, you can also uh, message us directly on uh, either uh, LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, both of them are at serverlessguru. Um, if you want to ask questions about serverless or have anything like that, definitely I would say Twitter is probably the best route. If you're looking to apply for a job, uh, you can email us at info at uh, and that will get us directly to the hiring uh, people on the team uh, to evaluate and move forward on that process. Um, uh, same thing if you're looking for uh, to, uh, your next partner for a serverless initiative, a migration, uh, enterprise architecture advice, things like that. Uh, you can also go to info at or submit our form. Uh, and of course, if you're looking to, you know, if you're just starting and you're a beginner, um, we have we have coupon codes and things like that for our training course. Uh, it's called Serverless Zero to Paid Professional. And it goes through helping uh, newer people based on my background of where, you know, I came through code school and had to learn about serverless and do things manually and then learn infrastructure as code and go from there. So that's how the course is focused. And if you do want a coupon code, you can get the course for free. And you just message us on Twitter Uh, We're going to be doing that probably for a good amount of 2021 as we're just starting to build out this new initiative of training courses and things like that. We don't really know fully uh, how it's going to be received by the community. Uh, And then we also have two podcasts as well. Uh, We have the Talking Serverless podcast, uh, which is a great episode with Yan as well, if you want to check that out. And then uh, the Serverless Economics uh, podcast, which is going to be coming out uh, pretty soon. We already have six episodes, but it's not really well marketed at the moment. so.
0: Okay, I'll make sure those are included in the show notes so that anyone uh, interested uh, can uh, quickly check them out. Um, So yeah, thank you again, Ryan, for taking the time today and uh, stay safe and uh, let me know when you get your skydiving license.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thanks so much, Jan. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck in 2021 to you too.
0: You too. Take care, man. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. So that's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you want to learn how to build production-ready serverless applications, please check out my upcoming courses at productionreadyserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.